Well, believe it or not, work is a good thing. Work is a good thing. It really is. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Iowa. I did school in Kansas. I did school here. Now I live here in Illinois. And I know that work is one of the core, most important values of the Midwesterner. Am I right? Yeah, work is important. And our scriptures, all the way in Genesis 1, begins with the account of God working of God working. Genesis 1, if you remember how it begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we have a full chapter of an account of God creating and separating light from dark and separating the land from the sea and creating all living creatures and all plants. And then he creates humans. God works. And Adam and Eve were created, and they were called to partner in the work of God himself. And we, like Adam and Eve, are called to partner in the work of God himself. But then they fell. And we feel the effects of the curse of sin corrupting the goodness of work still today, don't we? I mean, work is uh, exhausting. We get done, uh, we fill our time, we fill all of our time. We work, 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 work for our job, and then we come home and we work, 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 and we don't do well at resting. We, we overwork, we get exhausted, uh, we get fatigued, stress comes from our work. We, we get so involved and overworked that our, ten- or that our relationships become strained and have tension, and ultimately, our relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit becomes strained as well. Because while we are called to join in the work of God, we are also called to join in the rest of God. You remember the rest of the story of Genesis. God creates for six days. And then on the seventh day, God rests. And what does he say? He doesn't just say that it's good, but he says it's very good. So in 2021, as we sit here today, we are called to participate in the work of God because work is good, but we are also called to participate in the rest of God, in God's rest. And rest, resting well, resting in a Sabbath sort of way, it matures us in our faith. It helps grow us in Christ. It helps us to develop the fruit of the Spirit It helps us to love our neighbor as ourselves. It helps us to see the work of the kingdom of God come to fruition here. If we want to see baptisms, if we want to see people come to Christ, if we want to see this community and this county and this state turn towards the Lord, we participate in the work of God. But we cannot forget that we participate in the rest of God. But we remember that Sabbath rest doesn't come through the law like it once does, but our rest comes from a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. He says this in the book of Matthew, Come to me all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And that's where we find ourselves when we pick up today's reading. If you've been following along in the reading plan, we just started the book of Mark. So we're going to be settling in in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. If you want to turn there in their Bible, it's excellent. But I do want to say this as we go in. It has been so good to practice the spiritual discipline of reading and hearing the scriptures every single day. And it's been great to preach through uh, the book of Matthew 
But if you haven't been joining us this far in this journey of reading through the scriptures in one year, I encourage you to pick up with us in the book of Mark. This is a great opportunity to jump in. Uh, We've read chapters one and two, and we start chapter three tomorrow. So this is a great time to jump in and to get immersed and spend time in the word of God and the scriptures. I encourage you to do that if you're not already. But As we begin our time of studying and hearing the word today, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23, hear the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and they made, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, here's where we're going to hang our hats, so listen closely. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. We pick up our reading. We read this, and I want to just observe the Sabbath this morning through the lens of this text. I want to start with this. Typically, when we think of the Sabbath, when, uh, when I think of the Sabbath, maybe you're joining me, typically, uh, we fall into viewing it through one of two lenses. The first is through the lens of legalism. Well, that's legalistic. That's a bunch of rules. That's, that's uh, this, like, a thing that we have to do to get to God. But the other uh, lens that we typically view this through is irrelevant. Oh, the Sabbath, that was just the thing that the Jews did, and that was part of their worship, but it's pretty much irrelevant to us because we live under the reign and rule of Jesus, not the law. But what this text pushes us to believe is that neither legalism or irrelevance are good lenses or full lenses for us to view the Sabbath in. It's inadequate for our faith as mature Christians to view the Sabbath as legalistic or irrelevant. But it certainly is different than what the Jews Jews, uh, practiced. So let's unpack this text a little bit. The beginning two verses, Mark 2, 23 through 24, I'm going to read it again for us. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Here's what's happening. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are going, and it is the Sabbath. It's the day of rest. It's the day that's practiced by the Jews where no work is done. None. And they're going and they're picking grain, which is against the Sabbath law. And because of this, the Pharisees were upset. They were angry. The Pharisees were keeper of the law. And you might think, well, this isn't a big deal. They're just picking grains, uh, heads of grain. But you have to understand the, the Sabbath was a major, major part of Jewish life and even Jewish identity as people of the God of Israel. So rest is a critical part of who God has designed us to be, and rest was included in the law which the Jews upheld. We see the command to keep the Sabbath in two prominent places. 
both of which are recounting the Ten Commandments. Uh, and each tells us something a little bit unique about the nature of the Sabbath. Don't tune out to these. Again, it's easy for us to fall into viewing the Sabbath through the lens of legalism or irrelevancy, but consider this. We're going to read a portion of the Ten Commandments. And when we read the Ten Commandments, we always look back fondly, even now today. Don't have any gods but the Lord your God. Don't make idols. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't covet. These are all good things. And we don't brag about breaking any of the other commandments, but part of our culture tells us that work is so good that we're often braggers of breaking the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy, which is interesting, isn't it? Oh, I'm so busy. I've just worked for the last two months straight without a day off, and that's valued in our culture. But the Ten Commandments push us to a different reality. So let's look. Let's look. Exodus chapter 20. This is God recounting the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And the fourth commandment says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Remember that because we're going to hear that again in the book of Deuteronomy. But keep the Sabbath holy. And here is why the text tells us. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So when we look at the Jews and their practice of the Sabbath, and maybe what we should be observing too, is first, God gave us the commandment to keep the Sabbath as an act of imitation and obedience to him and his character. We are created in the image of God, and when we practice the Sabbath, when we, when we join God in his rest, we are imitating his character and following him in obedience. This is what Exodus chapter 20 points us to. This is what the law given to Moses points us to. But then we turn to Deuteronomy, and we hear the law recounted again. We hear the Ten Commandments recounted again. Have you ever wondered where the word Deuteronomy comes from? In, in Greek, deutero uh, is second. Namas is law. Deuteronomy the second giving of the law. So you see a lot of things in this text repeated from other places in the scripture. But we come to Deuteronomy and we hear the command given again, a second time. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your, your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who lives within your gates. It's exactly what we read in Exodus, but this time the explanation that's given as to why is a little bit different. Hear this. It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So this time, rather than imitating and observing God's character and following him in obedience, the writer of this text tells us that to keep the Sabbath, to join God in his rest, is an act of liberation. 
God freed the people of Israel when they were slaves, and they said, now we're free. And instead of caging them into laws, God says, you're free. This is how free people live. They live in my holiness. And part of that is to join him in his rest. It's totally countercultural to what we live in. But the Pharisees were upset because Jesus was breaking these. But here's what you have to understand, too. The, the Sabbath day wasn't just limited to an act of imitation and obedience, the act of liberation and uh, joining God and living as free people, but it was tedious. It was a big undertaking. There were 613 commandments in keeping the Sabbath. And then on top of that, there were thousands of subsidiary laws that were made by people like the Pharisees uh, to keep the Sabbath a major, major undertaking. The Sabbath became a legalistic act for these people. But because Jesus was living into the Sabbath as an act of imitation of God and as an act of how free people live, the Pharisees were angry. We move on in our text to the next two verses. It recounts uh, the story of King David as recorded in the book of 1 Samuel. And there's a lot that we could talk about. And the same point is this. The 10,000-foot view of this text is that all of its rules that have been instated regarding the Sabbath are not the point of the Sabbath. All 613 of these commandments, all of these thousands of subsidiary laws and rules are not the point of the Sabbath. But Jesus says, look, David is one of our heroes. And David lived and did good in the name of the Lord our God on this day. Because he is remembering the Sabbath and practicing it as an act of imitation and obedience and as an act of a free person in God. That's what David did. Look, look, look. Because, and then we move on to the last two verses. He says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. We were not made for the Sabbath. And that's a huge distinction, and it's a really important one to make because Jesus is speaking here with grace and truth. He's telling us that this day is a gift, and it is a gift, and it's one that helps us to live not an oppressed life, not one full of stress and worry and doubt and strained relationships, but one that helps us live into the story of God himself, of God himself. But do you remember the final verse of our passage? Verse 28, Jesus goes on to say, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus' words here are a little bit confusing to us. I had to look into what that meant. The, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, what does that mean? But think about the people that were there. The Pharisees and his disciples had to have been like, come again? What are you what are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean? What do you mean that? The Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. But we have the unique place in history where we can look throughout the entirety of the story of God. We have the entirety of the scriptures at our fingertips. And that helps give us context to what Jesus is saying here. And here's what it means. Here's the context that we have to be aware of. Hang in there with me because it's going to take us a little bit of a sidestep. Jesus was crucified. He was buried, 
and he rose again. That's the context for Jesus saying the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And here's what I mean by that. The Jews, uh, they would have understood this. The people, the Christians who were gathering early on in Acts chapter 2, they would have understood this and seen this connection, but sometimes we miss it because we don't live in the same context as them. But here's what it is. Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection were timely. They were timely. The time of it was not arbitrary. But rather, Jesus' death took place at the end of the week. And then he was put to rest, quite literally, dead, put in a tomb on the Sabbath. And he remained at rest for the duration of the Sabbath, dead. Hope seemed to have been lost, but we know that Jesus was reconciling the world to himself in his rest. And then on the eighth day, on the first day of the new week, Jesus rose from the grave and he, coming alive, victorious over death, said, yeah, I participated fully in the Sabbath, in the deepest form of rest that I could be, reconciling the world to me, and now I raise again to bring us into a new era that we live in today, in which our rest does not come from the law, but it comes from the risen Lord and our Christ. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, is Lord of the Sabbath. It's a beautiful and exciting thing, but what does this mean? I don't even know, I didn't know much about the Sabbath before studying for this, this sermon. So here's five observations about the Sabbath from a man named Rich Lotus. He's a pastor, a theologian, and I think that these are helpful in giving us context as to the Sabbath and how we can practice and observe today. Number one, the Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. The Sabbath is not a reward for hard work, but our culture has a hard time accepting rest without being exhausted. We're expected to be doing something always or we're considered lazy, but the Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. Rather, it's a free gift from God to us. Sabbath was made for man. And God's grace is not a reward, but it is a gift given to us out of the abundance of the love of our Savior. One, Sabbath is not a reward for hard work, but two, Sabbath is a reminder that our work will remain incomplete, and that's a hard pill to swallow. There's always more to be done. There's always another email to send. There's always another project to finish. It will never end. I promise you that. It won't end. It won't. But when we practice the Sabbath, when we set aside our work, it gives us a taste of death. And not death in the morbid sense, but death in the sense that we will experience eternal rest in the new creation alongside of our Savior Jesus. It gives us a taste of that. And even then, we'll have things left undone, unfinished. But that's okay, because the third point is that Sabbath is a day that moves us from production to presence. It's hard to be present. I admit it. I have a hard time being present even when I'm not doing work. If I'm around other people, I'm constantly thinking about the next thing that needs done, or I need to run home and do this, or I need to run this errand, or I need to finish this up for work. It's hard to be present. Maybe you experience this too. But when we practice the Sabbath and we join God in his rest to its fullest, we are present with our peers or our family And specifically, Christ is calling us to be present with him. 
resisting the idol of productivity and joining him in his rhythm of work and rest. Fourth, the Sabbath reminds us that we are not God. You're not God. I'm not God. God is God. And practicing Sabbath rest reminds us of this. The world is going to be just fine without you and without our work. It will. It will. I promise it will. And that's sometimes hard to bear. But think about Moses. Moses was a huge influence on the way of the people of Israel. And when he died, God said, okay, next. Somebody else takes his place. The world's going to keep going without us. But it's not us who holds everything together. God is the one who holds all things together. And when we practice Sabbath rest, then we're reminded that we're not God. And finally, Sabbath points us towards the deeper rest that we need. Yes, Sabbath is about pausing and letting our bodies physically rest. Yes, it's about pausing the rhythm of life and joining God and his rest. But more specifically, it points us to a deep rest because we're in communion with a person and with the Spirit of God, and that is Jesus Christ. And our soul needs that rest to keep going in order to fulfill the mission of God in our community, in our church, in our lives. In order to mature in Christ, we need this deeper rest than just sleeping all day. And Sabbath points us towards that. So what do we do with all of this? We keep the Sabbath. In order to keep the Sabbath, we look to the life and ministry of Jesus when we consider what our Sabbath rest ought to look like here and now today. And we pattern our rest after him and after the rest that Jesus exemplified. And it comes down to four easy principles. One, stop. We stop working. We stop the hustle. We pause. We stop. We rest. We rest. We rest physically and we rest spiritually. We stop. We rest. We delight in the pleasures of the Lord. We delight in the creation of the Lord. We delight because there are good things all around us. And when we rest and when we pause to rest in a Sabbath sort of way, we're reminded that God is putting all things back together. And one day when we experience our final rest with the Lord and new creation, all things will be right and we will delight in that. And so we practice that today, here and now. And finally, we contemplate. We contemplate by praying, by reading the scriptures, by spending time with the Lord, by spending time with other believers. These are things that Jesus did when he rested in a Sabbath way because Sabbath is an imitation of the character of God and it is a pattern and a practice that helps us live into the freedom of Christ. So we stop, we rest, we delight, and we contemplate. So my challenge to you is this. Join me. I'm going to be practicing Sabbath 24 hours a week. I will stop. I will rest. I will delight in the Lord, and I will contemplate alongside him. I will practice work, and I will practice rest. So I encourage you, up until Easter at least, that's a good way to get our feet in the door. We're going to practice, and I encourage you, choose a day to practice the Sabbath. I'll be doing it, and I encourage you, and I challenge you to do the same And maybe you're thinking, there's no way I can just start by just, boom, starting with a full day. Then practice Sabbath rest each and every day for maybe half an hour, for an hour. 
Find a way to keep the rhythm of rest a part of your life and not rest as in vegetating on the couch and watching your favorite Netflix show, but rest in a full sense that honors and glorifies God. Spends time with him. Matures us in Christ so we can fully participate in the work that God has called us to do. I end with this, the words of Jesus in Matthew. Come to me, all who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We come to the table of communion and we find rest in Christ Jesus. We're going to take communion, bread, and juice, and remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the new Lord of the Sabbath in our communion, and we're going to give of tithes and offering as an act of worship. So would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We praise you for the rest that you offer us, and we pray that we can live into the rest that you've called us into. God, help us cast away the idol of productivity. Help us to cast away uh, our, our need to rule our own lives and help us to put that on you, to help us stop, to pause, to rest with you. God, we love you and we ask that you would help us to grow in the fruit of your spirit and that we would live and serve you in a way that brings light to all around us. Jesus, it's in your name, in the name above every name, the Lord of the Sabbath. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.